0: The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Well, hello and welcome to the final episode of season six of the c.s lewis podcast we've been journeying with alistair mcgrath through the shorter works of c.s lewis for several weeks now i'm justin briley still sitting in for ruth jackson on the show and on today's episode on living in an atomic age it's uh, an essay that's been shared quite widely recently because a segment of it in particular has been popping up on social media feeds it begins If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Well, Alistair and myself will discuss the way that Lewis's 1948 essay is remarkably relevant to modern crises such as COVID and war in Ukraine. Now, if you want more from the show including access to all our podcasts our videos and online learning resources do check out premierunbelievable.com. you can register there to get all of the good stuff the bonus content and so on uh, the links to give and support the show are also available there too it's all with today's info thanks for being with us today let's leap in Welcome back to the final in this current season of episodes, looking at some of the shorter works of Lewis, essays, talks, sermons, articles he wrote. And this last one we're going to be focusing on um, is titled on living in an atomic age, Alistair. Um, And before you give us a bit of the background to it, it's interesting. I've seen, especially some quotes from the early segments of it, um, frequently circulating on social media in the last couple of years. Firstly, right at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, a number of people were were quoting some of what Lewis had to say. And I'll I'll um, I'll I'll read from it in a moment's time. Equally when the war in Ukraine broke out and there were concerns over the potential, you know, nuclear sort of escalation of it and so on. Again, I, I saw people quoting and circulating quotes from this article, but um, it'll become clear why. But tell us tell us where, where this was originally found, what what prompted Lewis to to write this particular essay. Well, it was originally a magazine article, and I think what prompted Lewis to write it was
1: the realization, look, the Second World War is now over, but actually um, we still have the threat of war. We still have the threat of annihilation. How do we live in this situation? Um, And I think there are a lot of things lying behind this. One is this sense we thought once the second world was over, it would be paradise. You know, everything would be wonderful all again. It's not. We've got the threat of complete annihilation. What are we going to do? How do we live with this threat hanging over us? And it's a very thoughtful essay. And, of course, it really does speak into some more recent concerns as well.
0: I mean, the particular, the particular quote that, that was frequently being shared on, on my social media, at least, Um, was was this Um, he said um, this is the first point to be made and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together if we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb let that bomb when it comes find us doing sensible and human things praying working teaching reading listening to music bathing the children playing tennis chatting to our friends over a pint in a game of darts not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs they may break our bodies a microbe can do that but they need not dominate our minds, um, and this this was particularly relevant. I think you know. I think you know. In that that early time of COVID, there was that sense of mass panic setting in, and you know, this was all people could think. Or, and and the, the point I suppose was, well, as Lewis says in this essay, there have, <laughs> the reality is there have always been things which confront human existence, things we might yes be killed by. Uh, But if we allow those fears to sort of dominate our entire life, then we will not live anyway. We will cease sort of actually enjoying the life we do have in front of us. Well, I think Lewis is making a very important
1: point. I mean, these threats are here. Lewis knew threats in his day. We knew new threats in our own day. But we've got to go on with the business of life. And um, Lewis, in many ways, is saying, calm down. You know, what can you do about this? But he's also saying, let's see this in context. And I think that's a very important point because Lewis does make what I think is a very important historical point. You know, think of, you know, you know, the, the, the Viking period, you know, when uh, in the east of England, you, you weren't aware whether you are going to survive or night because it might be Viking raids on the coastline or indeed. Think of the 16th century when plague broke out in London regularly. I mean, for example, I was giving a lecture in um, Oxford recently on Isaac Newton's um, theory of gravity. And I was talking about the the famous apple falling from a tree. That apple and that tree were in the garden of his mother in Lincolnshire. And the reason Lewis had that uh, Newton had left Cambridge to go and stay with his mother is because plague had broken out. You know, in the 17th century, and he needed to go out into the countryside to, to stay safe. And it's a reminder, I think, of human vulnerability. And that's a point, I think, that, that we come back to again and again. These things show us up. They remind us we are not as in control of things as we think we ought to be or are. And it makes us frightened because we can't control these things. And the COVID outbreak, and many people would say to me, look, the reason I'm frightened is because I can't see any way of making this situation better. And I think that's a very important point. It brings home to us that we cannot control the world as well as we thought we could. And, of course, one of the things the Enlightenment was saying is, look, you can control this world. So, in effect, we're having to realize the limits of being human, the vulnerability, and hence asking the question, what
0: gives us strength in these moments of darkness? Mm, Absolutely. I mean, um, in a way, because... You know, it was during Second World War, obviously, that the the possibility of nuclear uh, war became, you know, obviously, the first atomic bombs were dropped and effectively ended the war in the Far East um, uh, in Japan. And I suppose that ushered in a a new age, a new a new possible threat. And obviously, we then lived through the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, the Cold War and and so on, um, where. That was seen as as the the way in which humanity could possibly wipe itself out but um in a way lewis you know right at the beginning of that whole phase of of the 20th century said this the atomic bomb reminds us of the sort of world we are living in and which during the prosperous period before 1914 we were beginning to forget and this reminder is so far as it goes a good thing we have been waked from a petty dream and now we can begin to talk about realities there's and i get that sense Often it's when something like COVID hits or a war in Ukraine and you realize that, ah, the world isn't as stable as I thought. Um, there's, maybe we'd lulled ourselves into a false sense of security. But in fact, dictators can still arise. Terrible events can still shake us to our core. In a funny way, Lewis is saying, actually, Part of that is that it, it actually reminds us how fragile we are, that, that we are not sort of masters of our own destiny and so on. And, and to, to that extent, it actually shakes us into really looking at things that are important, ultimately. They're, they're, if there is a silver lining to living in an atomic age, a war in Ukraine, COVID outbreak, it's that it maybe reminds us to, to think about why we're here, I suppose. I think that's
1: absolutely right. I mean, I think one of the things I noticed as an older person was that after the Second World War, there was a period of immense optimism. Things are going to get better. You know, and now we look back and think, actually, they're not. And we are, in effect, on the brink of re-experiencing plague and war. And, and this is very, very frightening, partly because we thought these things were behind us. And I think that's 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 it. Uh, Lewis is right. You know, we waked from a dream, and we've got to talk about realities. And maybe we can say perhaps the, these events are bringing home to us that things are not as straightforward as we thought they were, that we cannot be optimistic. We're living in a post-optimistic age. And, of course, that really really does um, uh, force us to rethink who we are and what this world is like maybe it's not quite as simple as we had thought it was and we need to
0: rediscover a wiser way of looking at things because of the way things are going there is a sort of sunny optimism of a sort of secular humanism that says well we're basically good and we'll basically find our way and you know the world is going to get better because you know we'll we'll sort it out but I think every time we we come across a Putin and you know a war in Ukraine or something like that, we're reminded that actually humans aren't very good uh, at at sorting themselves out. We and I don't know for me it's a reminder that there's a there's a reason why Christianity is based around the idea of a, a God who steps in to save us because we can't save ourselves. That that's to me what a crisis helps us to remind us of that we 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 are not the answer to our own to our own you know problems. I think that's right. I
1: remember once reading a lecture an inaugural lecture for the uh, Faculty of Humanities at Stanford University which as it happened had to be given during the Second World War when you know when there was this massive destruction taking place and and basically the, the guy giving it just saying look it's actually very hard to to believe this sort of stuff, when human beings are killing each other and trying to destroy each other, maybe a time will come when we can begin to celebrate again the um, the richer side of humanity. But at the moment, we are seeing humanity at its worst. And I think that's a very important point, that actually we can't uh, resolve things by deifying human beings. We've got to realize our limitations, the way in which we so often um, you know, do things wrongly or badly, and realize we need help if we're going to live meaningfully
0: in this seemingly um, irrational world. Mm. There's another quote um, that I think we could talk about. We must go back to a much earlier view. We must simply accept it that we are spirits, free and rational beings at present inhabiting an irrational universe, and must draw the conclusion that we are not derived from it. We are strangers here. We come from somewhere else. There is another world And that is where we come from. And that explains why we do not feel at home here. Again, as we've said before, so many of these essays sort of cross over with each other. And we we talked a bit about this in The Weight of Glory. But there's that sense that that it's a, yeah, that... uh, the, having having kind of looked at the the kind of anxiety of living in an atomic age at the beginning he sort of goes on to say well what did you expect almost we we we're not at home in this world there's this is just a reminder uh, you know a particular reminder of, of the in this particular situation but you know how did we forget that we're kind of we're made for another world and if we feel at unease here you know that's simply you know reinforcing the fact that we're, we're not ultimately you know at home here until until i suppose that the creation itself is, redeemed in some way. I think that's right. And Lewis Heng is making a number of important points in the passage you just quoted. One of them,
1: of course, is we need to go back to the past for rich resources to be able to meet contemporary problems. And of course, he's looking at the Christian way of thinking. It's a very important point. He's also saying science is causing us problems that it can't solve. Where do atom bombs come from? They don't occur naturally we made them. And that says two things. Number one, there's something about human beings, which is warped. You know, we're taking, um, we're deliberately developing weapons to wipe each other out with. But the third thing is, of course, what this shows. And Lewis is saying, you know, that um, we're strangers here. We don't really belong here. And, you know, one of the things that keeps us going is to hope that there's another world that we can't mess up as we've messed up this world, and that's where we really belong. So Lewis, I think, is, is doing two things here: is one saying, let's see everything in context. This is not where we really belong, but we're here for the moment. Let's try and make the best of it and not be frightened by it, but keep alive the hope that there is another world, an
0: indestructible world, which is where we one day will find ourselves. Hmm. I mean, the, the, it's interesting. The essay goes in lots of different directions, but but one of them is also kind of he he does what what you know uh, a, a kind of explanation that we find again in miracles of the way in which he sees that um to make sense of science itself you know requires something beyond science that we we cannot simply be you know cleverly constructed sort of bags of molecules that that itself would not do as an explanation for why we we believe anything um and speaking of nature itself um and this idea that we we don't feel quite at home it in it i I found this a very helpful um quote from the article he says but what then is nature and how do we come to be imprisoned in a system so alien to us oddly enough the question becomes much less sinister the moment one realizes that nature is not all mistaken for our mother she is terrifying and even abominable but if she is only our sister if she and we have a common creator if she is our sparring partner then the situation is quite tolerable. Perhaps we're not here as prisoners, but as colonists. Only consider what we have done already to the dog, the horse or the daffodil. She is indeed a rough playfellow. There are elements of evil in her. To explain that would carry us far back Um, and goes on in in like manner. But I I found that helpful analogy because there's a sense in which if we can see ourselves as as part of a creation yet, w- which we do bang up against and which we have trouble reconciling ourselves with. And yet see that as I don't know, almost as I've never quite thought of it in that way, but, but the just as you and I need redeeming Alistair, the creation needs redeeming. It's another aspect of God's good goodness that's sort of fallen. And, and to that extent, yes, it's easier to accept it if we reconcile to the fact that this is the way things are, but that God w- one day both cr- all of creation, you, me, and this physical universe that we so often find it difficult to live in will actually be redeemed by God. It's not our master. It's our sister, as, 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 as Lewis puts it here.
1: I think that's right. And of course, it's a very powerful antidote to form secular humanism, which says, you know, human beings are wonderful. Well, you see, maybe some are, but an awful lot aren't. And they're the ones who make atomic bombs. Mm. They're the ones who develop um, weapons of mass destruction, biological weapons. I think the key point is that we need redeeming from ourselves. And, you know, we can't do it by ourselves. Somebody has to do it for us. And that's why I think Lewis's constant emphasis on being strangers here, that that there's another world where we really belong, is important, because it gives us hope one day we'll be
0: in a place that we can't mess up, as we've messed up this world. So much more we could draw out from this, but but just as we start to close this this whole series we've done on on these short essays, um, it, it is interesting how many of them we have drawn from this war period, the 1940s or just after. Um, is is that significant? Uh, you mentioned earlier that you thought there was it was obviously a fertile period for Lewis to be writing and thinking in this way. I think there are two things that may help us understand this. One is of course
1: the wartime situation really did raise some very big questions. And Lewis, I think, rose to these. But secondly, a very practical point, which is that actually student numbers at Oxford went right down because of the war. And so Lewis didn't have so much teaching to do. And so actually he did have a bit more time to to write and to think about things. So uh, that was very important to him. But I think it is significant that actually Lewis does seem to be doing a lot of very creative, reflective stuff around this time at a time when it needed to be done. His wartime broadcasting from this period as well that mm. had a massive impact it's almost as if lewis found
0: his voice
1: during the second world war
0: yes when it comes to these shorter works of lewis versus his longer works his books and so on do you do you have a preference do you think he's better at one or the other
1: I think that um, some of his shorter writings, like The Weight of Glory, you, you you just go through it again and again and again, underlining passages. And it's difficult to sustain that over a whole book, I think. Mm. I think that some of his shorter writings allow Lewis to really focus down on a short piece, which he can pack some wonderful prose and wonderful ideas. So actually, for me, I have to say that some of his shorter pieces are actually some of his
0: best pieces. And interestingly. In a way, as as I've discovered, some of his longer books are really just a collection of shorter pieces. You know, as Mere Christianity was essentially his wartime talks, which were short pieces brought together into one volume. Again, Miracles, uh, that book, you know, you, you'll find actually it's, some of the chapters are composed of some of these essays and things that he wrote. So, so in a sense, Lewis, I think, w- was frequently writing in short form but bringing them together in into something wider in his works wasn't he i'm sure that's right or
1: testing ideas out and trying to get yeah. a response to them so we could uh, rewrite in a better form but uh, it's a tribute to him i mean basically he's, he wants to say
0: something important and he wants to give it a try and then make it better yeah well thank you very much for guiding us through nine um i can't believe how many we've got through here nine nine of lewis's shorter pieces but it's been a real joy to be able to do that in this season of the show Alistair Um, if uh, if you want more from Alistair we'll make sure there's a link from today's show as well including some of his latest work Uh, and of course you can find out more from the show uh, in all the usual ways which we'll give you in a moment but for now um, Alistair thank you so much for joining me to look through all of these works by Lewis and we look forward to you joining us again in the near future thank you very much it's been a wonderful experience thank you Well, I hope you've enjoyed season six of the C.S. Lewis podcast. And if you missed any episode, you can go back and listen. You can catch up at premierunbelievable.com, where you can also support the show and get hold of all our resources, including our newsletter and bonus content. Uh, we'll be returning with more from the podcast soon. Until then, hope you're enjoying your summer and we'll see you soon.